theextraordinarychurch.ca podcast, where ordinary people experience extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. You are about to hear a message that will encourage you to become and experience all that Jesus Christ has for you. Are you ready? Open up your Bibles because something extraordinary is about to happen. I would like to read from the book of Job. Don't nobody get scared and say, oh, God, we're going to leave here depressed. I want to read one verse found in chapter 28 and verse number 28. You know, Job was, he was quite a fellow. I'll read this scripture. And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. You can be seated. Thank you. One writer said, Get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. I just told you how to get it. In one verse, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. My, my. Someone ever come to you and they'd say, well, I just don't understand. Well, I know why. You haven't departed from evil yet. Well, we're going to have a hot time in the town this morning. I can't seem to get where I need to be with God. Must be something wrong with that preacher. If we had a better building, if we had better music, I I don't know if you're going to get anybody to sing any better than that woman. Son. Buddy, that's that's a set of pipes. You ain't got a shot against that one. All of the things in this life that are here to try and distract us, we do, no one can harm us. If we bite the bullet, we did it by choice. If you lose out with God, you made a choice, a bad one. Understanding is key. In fact, without it, you cannot be saved. And you can't get understanding on your own. It's not, you can't put a quarter in the machine and it's like a vending machine. Doesn't work like that. To get understanding requires relationship. Once you fear God, that's the beginning. People say, no, first thing we have, no, no, no. The first thing you have to do is fear God. If you attend a church of any kind, the fear of God's working on you. Or you wouldn't be going there. The fear of God is motivating you. It's moving you. And when you yield to that and say, God, I accept this fear of God. You may do it in steps. You accept it. Then it gets deeper. Then God draws you a little closer. You see, the the program that God designed, and I'm I'm not against everything in the world. I'm not. We used to say about my daddy, we'd say, you know one thing about my daddy. And if you'd have met him, you'd agree. 
I told folks, I said, my daddy is not a racist. My daddy's not prejudiced. And my daddy's not biased. They said, well, he must be quite a man. I said, he is. He hates everyone. So there, there was nothing wrong with him. He just didn't think anybody else was right. And so we can't go through life like that. So I want to tell you here today that if you really want to know God and know him, know him, that's an intimate term. In fact, in the old King James vernacular, that word know was the height of intimacy. If you really want to know God and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, then it's going to require action on your part. Don't let Joel Osteen fool you. That boy's lost in the woods hunting a bear that ain't there. I'm going to straighten him out today. I hope he's watching. I had the distinct honor of knowing his father when he pastored a church smaller than this. Little A-frame church over in, in, in East Houston. And his dad was a powerful preacher, powerful man of God. He was nothing like what they built into now. See, sometimes we think we need to put all the old stuff behind us. And, and, you know, and a lot of it we probably do, but we think, I get rid of all that old junk, I'm going to do it my way. See, Elvis thought that was a good idea. So did Frank Sinatra. You know where they wound up, don't you? Elvis with his head in the toilet and Frank Sinatra with one foot in hell and the other on a banana peel. So they, that, doing it their way didn't work. And I'm going to tell you, doing it your way ain't going to work. You cannot circumvent God. You can't not go around his word no matter who you are or how much you think you know. If you're going to come to God, you're coming on his terms. And he's going to break you into a lot of pieces before you ever reach the altar. But once you've been broken, once you've been humbled, once you've walked into God's world, now you are susceptible to everything that God has to offer. I want to tell you at the outset, and I'm going to try not to be long. My wife is right over here, and if she says one word, I'll lay hands on her. <laughs> and we've come up with so many programs that we think we need all these programs. Now, I'm not saying all programs are bad. Please, don't be that small-minded. We've got programs like AA. Do y'all have that in Canada? Alcoholics Anonymous. No telling how many men and women have went through an AA program that saved their marriage or saved their children. It's a good program. Then we have all of the drug recovery, drug rehab programs. And then in the churches, we've taken up and we use all of these programs. We've got the 12 steps. We've got the 20 steps. We've got the Operation Recovery, and, and we've got AMP, and we've got BMB, and we don't even know if we have a J-O-B or not. We've got everything imaginable. All these programs that we think we have to have, and well, coming and living for God is a 12-step program or a 20-step program. All them programs are good when you couple them with perspective. They work wonders for the world. Whew. Don't nobody leave. They're great for the world because they really work. 
If you can't get your husband and he's a drunkard or a drug addict and you cannot get him into the house of God, then send him to Operation Recovery. Send him to AA and get him off the drugs and alcohol. But if you can get him into the house of God, it's a one-step program. You make a step toward God and God makes a step toward you. And when God cleanses the temple, that temple is clean. When God makes a move, that move is made. God doesn't need a backup plan. He don't have a backup plan. He is the backup plan. I told someone recently, they said, oh, Brother East, you need to read this book. Man, have you read this book? Sitting around a bunch of preachers, you don't know, talking about books. And I ain't got nothing against books. I like books. I like to read. But, my God, I can't just sit at home all the time, 24 hours a day, say, bring me a biscuit. I'm going to be here all day reading. And they said, have you read? Well, they caught me on the wrong day. And when you're old, it has its benefits. Because you don't care. And you'll say things wouldn't nobody else dare say. Because what they're going to do to you, they're just going to say, it's okay, he's old. So I take advantage of that. And so these people that think that we can shortcut God, we're mistaken. We can't go around God. And he kept telling me, have you read this book? How about this book? You read this book? Finally. I got to thinking about it, and I said, look, I got a picture of a Bible. I held it up. I said, have you read this book? Guess what? John, the last chapter of the book of St. John, the last verse, he said, I suppose that if everything that Jesus Christ did in the world, if it were written in a book, the world itself could not contain the books. I am convinced that Jesus Christ and him crucified, it's the only program we need. If we get our hearts right with God and find the will of God, we're prepared for anything that may befall us. We can do this. I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me. I came to God 50, almost 56 years ago. I came smoking, drinking, drugging, doing everything that some of y'all have done. Don't nobody get pious in here. Because if you're pious, then you got pride, and that's the worst of all of them. And I went to that church that I went to, and I'm not going to tell that story. I'm just going to tell you that I went as a joke. I went to shut my uncle up who had come to a church service, never been to church in his life, and he was, a, he was an absolute thug. Now, when I say thug, I'm not playing. He was a mobster in Houston, a real mobster, drug dealings, prostitution houses, money laundering. He did it all. And he shows up at my house on a Sunday morning, and I didn't go to church at all, didn't have no church background, nothing. He shows up at my house. I'd been out all night on a binge. I was a professional gambler, and I'd been out gambling. And... And yes, I chased the girls. I lied. I cheated. And I stole. Can I tell you that just a few weeks before I came to that church that time as a joke, never heard of an apostolic church, didn't know what that word meant. And before I came, we were involved in three shootings. Shootouts. We were not good neighbors. If you moved into our neighborhood 
Don't live next door to those people. They were, they were bad. And we went as a joke, 13 of us. And while we were in that service that, mo- that night, something. I went there that night. I went there to fight. But something got hold of me. I like that old Hank Williams song they used to sing about 50, 60 years ago. Praise the Lord, brother. I saw the light. And when the light walked into that sanctuary, when the light walked into that church, when the light walked into my heart, it lit me up like a Christmas tree. I walked away from smoking. I walked away from drinking. I walked away from drugs. I walked away from fighting. I walked away from lying and cheating and stealing. All in the one-step program of the book of Acts. Some of you that are in here today, you're struggling with habits. You think, I got to get this and I got to get that. I'm not against that. Not against those things. That's what I said a while ago. I think they're good programs in perspective. But you're sitting in a place today to where God, the great God of glory who said, let there be light and there was light is dwelling inside some people here. Some of these bodies in this building are full of that same power and spirit that said, let there be light. And you're in an atmosphere where you can close your eyes. You don't even have to speak out loud. If you can think it, God can do it. And you can say, God deliver me. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that you might ask or think. What separates us from all other churches? People have all kinds of answers. Usually, they'd say, it's not as bad as it used to be, but will you dress differently? That's what they'd say. Women wear their hair different. They got long hair. They they look different. You don't believe in this, that, and the other. They always had some kind of a little blurb to throw in there. But you know what the real difference is in Extraordinary Church and most of the other churches in the Mississauga, Toronto area? We're not ashamed. We're not ashamed of what? What are you not ashamed of? We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and to the Greek. It's for the Gentile and the Jew. That means it's for us and it's for them too. But we have something that the world desperately needs. It's not just a card signing. It wasn't a party we went to. It wasn't wasn't a little sermonette from a Christianette. What it was was a transformation. We found a way to be not conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of of our mind we joined something that was bigger than us it's been working for me for 56 years it's as good today as it was back then in fact this morning while my wife was in the shower I'm in that room in that hotel I had a little spell right there in the room just me wasn't no music nobody singing Nobody running out there to hold me on their shoulder and burp me because they're afraid I'd leave the church. 
None of that stuff was going on. It's just me right there in the room. And the presence of God just hovered over me like a fog. Oh, God, let that same presence that fell at Pentecost, let that same presence that was in the tabernacle, let that same presence that was at the parting of the Red Sea, let that same presence fill this room right here today. And let every single soul in this building leave here a different way. And when they get where they're going, let them say, I know that I have been in the presence of something far bigger than what I am. How do we get to that place? What do we have to do? Do we have to act like them? No, you don't. So I want to hurry. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. Whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.5 begins the chapter where Jesus is telling Nicodemus, Except you be born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Then he repeats himself, says, if you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. So you not only can't enter it, you can't see it unless you're born again. Of course, Nicodemus asked what anyone else would have asked. They didn't have no Bible. They didn't have none of that stuff. He simply said, can a man go back into his mother's womb after he's grown? Jesus didn't give him no biological, scientific answer. He just simply said, except a man be born again. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. Well, what kind of kingdom was he trying to get into? What kind of kingdom was Jesus talking about? Well, see, later on in the New Testament, that's why you can't read one scripture and build a church on it. Should I say that again? You can't read one scripture and build a church on it. And that's what they've done with John 3.16. They have destroyed John 3.16 with a lie. Later on in the scripture, it said the kingdom of God that Jesus was talking about is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit, whichever you prefer. That kingdom of God is what you have to have inside of you. And the only way that you can get that is through him. Now, let me explain. John 3.16 clearly says, God so loved the world. They gave his only begotten son that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That term begotten means produced, manufactured. Why would it say that, that the, the, the manufactured son or the produced son? Because the son represented the flesh. The flesh represented the lamb, which was the sacrifice. And it had to be a special flesh. That's why the Bible said that God prepared himself a body, that he might be in that body and come back down here, not as the great God of glory, but as the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. So when they got through with John 3.16, whoever the guys were that started most of the Christian churches in this country. They just kind of folded the book up and said, well, that's enough for me. No, that's just the beginning. How do I know that I have believed in the Son of God? You talked a little bit ago about worship, about true worshipers. You mentioned true worshipers. Jesus cleared that, uh, that argument up. He's talking to that woman. He's talking to her outside there in Samaria. And he tells her, at that, he said, you worship, you know not what, but we know what we worship. And the time 
was, is now, the time is right now that the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. We've got too many people that have been worshiping him, but they've been worshiping him in an agenda. They've been worshiping him in a program. They've been worshiping him in a bunch of leaders. They've been putting on a show that's not working, but the true worshipers are going to worship him in spirit and in truth. That spirit is the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That truth is Jesus Christ because he said, I'm the way the truth and the life if any man comes to me I will in no wise cast him out you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free there is a way that seems right to a man but the end of that way is death but Jesus Christ came that you might have life and have it more abundantly he brought to you the raw unadulterated spirit filled truth nothing more nothing less so they just stopped at John 3.16. And built churches. Been building them for three, four thousand years. Two thousand years, not three or four. Two thousand years now. And then building church on a non-truth. What did John 3.16? He didn't say that. Yeah, he said it. But see, when, when that was all written, there were no chapters, no verses, no lines. They were written on scrolls, skins, parchments, ink. You had to be rich to even have ink. So what was written had great meaning. It took lots of hours to put it together. Do you know this book we call the Bible is the number one selling book in history. Still number one, billions. In fact, the other nine that are beneath it of all the books in the world, like these ones about witchcraft and all that business, about that, whatever that, that them shows are. I don't remember the names. What's them old shows that, that, they are, that you know I don't like? About the witches and all that stuff that they have. Them, come on, talk to me. Somebody talk. Who? No, they're real popular. What's the name of them shows? Them movies. No, that Walking Dead's really bad. Tell me, somebody. Harry Potter, oh, somebody, somebody had enough guts to say, I know what you're talking about. Thank you, brother. See me after church and I'll have him give you an offering. I know what I'm talking about and that other one, there's another one too. What's the other one that was like Harry Potter? Better go back to my man over here. What's that other one where they have all this stuff going through? They build these kingdoms and all that stuff. And, and you have these little eunuchs. <laughs> Who? Lord of the Rings. They're in the top ten. And I could name five or six others that all of them are associated with that kind of mess. Would it shock you to know that the Bible, the word of the Lord, outsells all of them combined every single year? Why? Because there's something in that Bible that is truth. It's the word of God. It's not a dead book. It's a live, it's a live spiritual book. That's the word of the Lord. So when they wrote that book, it took 1,500 years to put it together. 1,500 years covered that span, putting that book together. All that things. And you've got all these books in there. And you take the first four or the Gospels, then the book of Acts. The Gospels tell you all about the life of Jesus. The book of Acts is the actions that those 12, 12 apostles took 
in putting the church together. And then we were commanded to not follow. They didn't, didn't come out and say, follow Jesus. said, follow the apostles' doctrine. How about that? Follow them. Whatever doctrine them guys is teaching, that's the one you need. Why would that be true? Because they got some keys that you don't have. I gave them the keys to the kingdom of heaven that whatever they loosed on earth would be loosed in heaven. Whatever they bound on earth would be bound in heaven. There was some binding and some loosing that took place. Try not to get all worked up here, you know. And then you have the book of Revelation. My daughter used to ask me, she said, Dad, you preaching the book of Revelation? I said, why is she? Because if you're, I ain't coming. Yeah, you know who she is. She said, I don't like hearing all that stuff. scares me. Now, folks, you know, I wish they wouldn't preach about that while the kids are in the room. No. Let's send them out, give them a donut, a McDonald's chicken strip. Let them read some fairy tale. Let them watch TV. That's even better. Let's get SpongeBob over there. We'll give them that. They, that ain't going to bother them. Let them see dinosaurs eating people and all that. That ain't going to bother them. Don't talk about that book of Revelation. Maybe your children need to be scared. Maybe you need to show them some of that. Maybe that's what God wanted us to do. You know what the least read book in the Bible is according to statistics? The one that, the, in, especially in the North American continent and parts of Europe. The number one book in the Bible that they do not want to read. You thought I was going to say Revelation, didn't you? I tricked y'all. It's Leviticus. Leviticus. You know why y'all are laughing? Y'all don't like reading it either. Isn't that right? Going to read the book. Every year, the whole thing, get to Leviticus and say, oh, God, help me get through here fast. I'm going to speed read. You know what the number one book read by the apostles, read by all of the Jews throughout history was? The book of Leviticus. Why? It tells you how to live. It tells you how to stay saved. It tells you how to raise your children. It tells you how to be a preacher. It tells you how to be a saint. It tells you what's good and evil. Son, that's stronger than garlic. Folks, we need an awakening to the things of God. An awakening. So they took that and took John 3.16 and they tried to turn it into just a little mamby-pamby thing. Come on in, sign a card, shake in. Welcome aboard. Give him a gift on the way out. Don't forget to give him his box. I'm not making fun. I don't know what's in that box. I tried to open it, but I'm going to have to air hammer something to get in the box. Why would you give me a gift? You hate old people that they can't open? We wanted to make it easy. That's why they invented the microwave. That's the nature of man. Make it easy. Keep it simple. We don't want nothing complicated, man. So we've had these microwaves all these years, and everybody likes them. Well, you got a microwave? You ain't got a microwave? First microwave we ever bought back in the 70s cost $1,000. Now Walmart has them for $47. You tell me who the fool is. Because we wanted something quick. We didn't know it back in the late, the early 70s. 
or the late 60s when those microwaves came out. We didn't realize those things caused cancer and everything imaginable to you, that their microwaves had the ability to go through the air. We didn't realize that microwave signals would go through the air and kill the honeybees and the bumblebees, thus affecting our environment. Nobody told us none of that. They didn't tell you that oleomargarine was like drinking strychnine. They never told you none of that. But we're just good people. We just follow along what they say. I'm tired of following along like they say. I think we should follow Christ. I think we should follow the Bible. I think we should follow truth. I think God should anoint this man with a Holy Ghost revolution like he never experienced in his life that he'll preach hell so hot you can feel the heat and preach heaven so real you'll try to go today. If they had not stopped when they're reading that parchment because it's just one long letter the whole book of John. Oh God Brother Perry you're excited today, aren't you? Don't move to the edge of the seat. You need to be a little careful, but you're not as young as you used to be. You're about to fall off that chair. I don't want to see that happen. You watch him. I'm going to really get him excited here in a minute. If they had not stopped in what we call John 3, they'd have got over to what we call John 7. When on the great day of the feast, Jesus Christ stood and said, Hey, if any man is thirsty, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled, shall be filled. Once that hunger comes alive in you, he said, If any man is thirsty, let him come. And he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. This spoke he of the Spirit. They that believe upon him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus had not yet been glorified that's what they needed to hear brother Thompson they needed that explanation so that they knew there was an attachment to that scripture oh God help us to grab hold of these attachments I hate a vacuum cleaner that ain't got attachments I hate a computer that don't have attachments because I'm limited as to what I can do don't we got to get those attachments. Jesus added an addendum to what he said in John 3. That was him speaking in chapter 3. But he's over here in, this, in chapter 7 now, and he adds an addendum to it and says, hey, here's how you identify what it is you need. Man, a lie. We just cheated the people when we told them, come on down. Just come on down, shake our hand, take communion. You mean billions of people a year take communion and have no idea why they're taking it? And the Bible says that if you take communion unworthily, you're drinking death to yourself, but the preachers are not telling them. And you deserve to know so that when you come and take communion, you're going to pick up that little prayer card I've been passing out and say, God, search me and know me and try me and know my thoughts and see if there's any wicked way about me and lead me in the way everlasting so you can be clean and pure and sanctified when you take communion. Why? Because you're taking the body of the Lord and the blood of Jesus Christ into you physically. My, my. So you've got this hunger and thirst business. And you've got all these different means and methods 
that you can come to God and what you have to do and don't have to do and you got to look this way and look that way. Well, I remember a lady told me one time, she said, well, I know what you're preaching is the truth because I listened to you and I looked at it. You know, I know it's all in there. But she said, if you come down here telling me to get rid of my jewelry, we're going we gonna to get in trouble right there. I said, ma'am, I ain't, I ain't going to tell you to do nothing. I'll let the book tell you what to do. How about that? You know, Noah, we don't have no, no record that Noah ever explained anything. He never argued, never got into a debate. None of that. Never went to Purpose Institute. He never did any of those things. You know why? When he committed to God, he is the only man in the Bible that it says he found favor and grace with God. The only one that it describes like that. So what did he do differently? Noah said, I'm not going to argue with nobody. I'm going to let the rain do the talking. Woo! I'll let that soak in for a minute. They'd never had no rain. I'm going to let the rain do the talking. And when it started raining, the rain did the talking. The rain explained why Noah built a boat like no other 900 foot long. It explained why this guy spent 120 years building a boat. It explained why all he did was tell that something bad's going to happen. You better get your lives together. And he only saved eight people and they were all family members. So we have this sinful woman. Jesus is at, he's at a house full of Pharisees and Sadducees and all the good people. I remember about 50 years ago or so, I used to tell a story. I hadn't told it in a long time about this old homeless, old bum-looking guy, hobo-looking guy. I've been a hobo. Anybody here ever been a hobo, a real hobo? Rode the freight trains and did all that stuff? I used to do that, ride them trains. And they used to have a guy, what they called a bull, right on top of them trains. And he'd look them cars over, see if there was any hobos on there. He did. He threw them off with that train moving. You ain't had no fun till you went off the train 40 miles an hour moving. I know. I skinned up so bad one time I didn't think I had no skin left. So all of that kind of stuff. So all these righteous people were there. And it's like the fellow said, he said, that old bum, old hobo, almost forgot where I was at with that hobo. My wife usually give me a signal or something, say, you're on a rabbit trail, you're on a rabbit trail. And so I, the, the old hobo, he's sitting on the street corner, you know, got, hoping somebody give him something. And, man, this light comes down from heaven. Hypothetical, folks, everybody remember that word. This is a parable. Don't say, oh, where did you get that in the Bible? It's a parable. It's a parable. And he said, this light shined down. and oh, shook him up real bad. And a voice from heaven said, I want you to join me in church. Not knowing what church really was except what he saw. Man, he got up best he could, and he walked all the way through town. He passed this church and that church. He went to the biggest one he could find. The mayor was there. City council people went there. All the affluent people went there. He thought this must be where God is because that's where all them are. And he walks in the back door, and the preacher is at the pulpit, and he picks up a little deal transmitter, and he talks to one of the ushers. He says, what is that guy doing in here? And they said, he just walked in. He said, please get him out. So they went and told him, said, sir, you need to leave. He smelled bad. You know, I understand. He, you know, he smelled pretty bad. He hadn't bathed probably weeks and weeks and weeks. But they asked him to go to the mountain. He got out and he sat down on the steps of the church. 
And he looked up. He didn't know where that light came from. He didn't know nothing about it, but he heard the voice. He knew he heard that voice. So he just looked up everywhere he could, and he said, Lord, if that was you, I tried to get in here. They wouldn't let me in. And the light came again, and the voice came again. He said, don't worry, son. I've been trying to get in there for 50 years. They won't let me in either. When you make your church like that, that is not a sanctuary. That's not a house of blessing. That's not a house of praise. When you make your church what I feel in here right now, that it wouldn't matter who walked through that door. They would be welcome. They would be welcome. And we would pray with them. We would help them. We would clothe them. We would do whatever was necessary. That's what the body of Christ is. So Jesus goes in and all these Pharisees are sitting around and Man, they're, they're having a big dinner, you know, and they're the, they're the religious segment of the world, and Jesus is in there. I don't know why they invited him. Mainly, they were trying to get something out of him, so they surely didn't like him. And lo and behold, at the back door, a woman comes walking in, and evidently she was a prostitute or something of that nature because they called her a sinful woman. She comes walking in, and under her arm, she is carrying an alabaster box, a little box, and that has special meaning. And she's carrying it under her arm. And she's very gently trying to make her way to Jesus. And man, everybody's looking at her. And, and men begin to talk. And they said, does he not know what this woman is? She kneels down beside him and breaks open that box. And she's got very expensive perfume on there. And she begins to rub it on his feet. And she begins to tears falling down her face onto his feet. She kissed his feet. She wrapped her arms around his legs and his feet. And she held him. And they said, my God. And Jesus said, hey, this woman did what none of you would do. She's doing what I wanted her to do. You've never done this. Don't criticize that woman. I'm going to tell you. We're going to see the day in the very near future that we're going to have people come we didn't expect. We're going to have people that don't look like us, that don't talk like us, that don't act like us. They're going to come. You know why? Because the Spirit of the Lord is drawing them. Nobody comes to the Lord except the Spirit draw him. When that Spirit begins to draw, you better be ready to draw. You better be ready to move. You better be ready to go. You better be ready to function at full capacity. Mary and Martha, Jesus goes to their house. Big crowd. And Mary runs to the feet of Jesus. Mary, woman who had a bad past. Mary, the sister of Lazarus, the old beggar, the bum. She's down there. She's huddled at the feet of Jesus. She's got her arms wrapped around his feet. Her sister comes out. Martha comes out and says, Lord, I'm back here making sure all the pizza is sliced. I've made all these Subway sandwiches. I'm, I'm cooking some lumpia, and I'm, I'm making some of them little round, uh, them little round kind of crispy balls that I, I just nearly fainted when I was eating them. I, I'm making all of this, and look what she's doing. Jesus said, I came in here. None of you did this. None of you did none of this. Instead, why don't you just go back to the kitchen, Martha? Why don't you go back and make another donut or do whatever it is you're doing? You're more concerned with how the building looks and what kind of food we're going to eat, what kind of clothes we're wearing. Why don't you just go back in there, leave this woman alone? She has blessed me. The richest guy in the world 
cannot get into the kingdom of God any differently than you. Doesn't matter who he is. Doesn't matter. He can be the richest man in the world. But his money will not buy that. The Beatles were right way back in the 60s. I didn't like them. But the Beatles said money can't buy you love. Well, it can't. If I were to look and read the story about Jesus when he, when he went into another house or he told the story while he was at a house. And he said two men went to pray. One was a Pharisee, the elitist, the religious guru. And the other one was a publican. Nobody liked publicans because they were, they were just, they were, nobody would do the job they, they were doing. They were the lowest of the low. If you were going to compare them to anything today, you would compare them in Texas, United States, we call it the IRS. He was a tax collector. And yes, y'all have tax collectors in Canada. And you don't like them. So this Pharisee is praying. God, you're very fortunate to have me here today, God. I tithe twice a week. I fast twice a week and I tithe every week. And I pray so many times and hours a day and a week. He's telling God. And then he goes so far to say, and I'm not like other men, God. And then he makes his critical error. He says, especially like this guy down here. Now your attention is immediately directed to the guy on the floor. And the Bible said he's down on his knees and his face, and he's wailing and sobbing out loud. No, I don't doubt, and I don't mean to be crude or, 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 or vulgar, but his nose was probably running and dripping, and the tears were running down his face. He didn't care. You know why he didn't care? He was there for a reason and a purpose. He didn't come there to show off. He didn't come there to let you know who he was and how esteemed he was. He's on that floor. You know what his prayer was? God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on me, a sinner, God. I'm here today to make application for your mercy, God. That's all I want. I'm not asking you to give me good health. I'm not asking you to give me money. I'm asking you to have mercy on me because I am a sinner and I need you. My, how in the world have we over these last few years, how have we, how have we missed this? How did we mess this up so bad? I, I, I really wonder that how we've messed all this up. I think I understand why. If I could, if I could just kind of close this thing up. I think I've been up here long enough. I've said enough. Anything I say now after what I'm about to say would be redundant. You know, Jesus is in this room. Now, I'm, I'm serious. Jesus Christ is in this room. And he's not looking for what you think he's looking for or what you may think. Can you, if you would use your imagination, how, how does, how, how would it look in heaven? Use your imagination. This is imaginary. And 
this guy is there, and all these people that are there are the people that they made it, and they all look so great. You know, everything is so great, and then there's this one guy, and he's, he's just kind of sitting over in a corner by himself. Again, I'm using my imagination. And so one of the leaders up there goes to him and says, Sir, what are you doing here? Because he's dressed in rags. He said, what are, you, what are you doing here? He said, I don't really know. Well, how'd you get in? I don't know the answer to that either. Well, do, do you understand? Do you understand immortality? And do you understand the coming of Jesus? Do you understand? No, I, I don't understand it. I, I, no, I don't. No, no. I never learned that. He said, well, Man, this, we're not getting to work fast. Let me, let me go get somebody else. Maybe he went to get his supervisor in heaven. And he goes and gets the other guy and brings the other guy over there. And the other guy says, how are you, sir? He said, I'm doing, doing fine, thank you. What, why, who, why are you here? I, I don't know why I'm here. I think I understand to some degree, not to the critical degree that he did, but I think I understand how this guy felt, and I think most of you do too, when I'm finished. He said, I don't know. This is all new to me. And he says, well, are you a minister? He said, no. He said, are you, are you a Jew? No. Did you, did you ever go to seminary? No, I don't even know what a seminary is. Well, who are you? Nobody. Well, do you have a name? Well, I probably do, but in my life down there, the only thing people ever called me was a thief. And I reached the point to where I responded to thief. If somebody said thief, I thought they was talking to me. And he said, well, you were a thief, but have, do you have any religious background? He said, no. Did, did you ever study the law no sir never did any of those things come on man you got to help me out how did you get here how did you wind up here he said I can't hardly do this really I'm, I've done it before every time I do it it, it messes me up man because this was his being his answer the guy on the middle cross said I could come. He said I could come. I cursed him just before everything ended. Me and the other guy, we cursed him and I finally realized I don't need to be cursing this guy. He's probably a good man. He's innocent. The only words I ever said to him was remember me. So the guy on the middle cross said I could come. You that are here today and maybe perhaps, perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ. Maybe you know of him. You see, there's a difference in knowing of him and knowing him. You can know the existence of Jesus Christ and not have a relationship with him. And too many people today that claim Christianity only know of his existence. And they know what his name is, but they have no access to it. Because they don't have a relationship with him. 
if you're one of those people and you'd like to go to this place we call heaven, I'm here to tell you today that the man on the middle cross has opened the door right now. He opened the door right now. If we'd have been listening, we may have heard it squeak when he pulled it open and said, I'm going to give every one of them a chance to come. If you're here and you do know him and you, you do understand who he is, today is the day you make commitment greater than the one you've already made because you're not there where you need to be. And that goes for everybody in this room, including myself and this pastor. We cannot outgive God every day. We need to make a new commitment, renew our vows with him every day. We do that with our wives. We wait 25 years and say we're going to renew our vows. We should renew our vows to God every single day and sometimes several times. Why? Because I never know when he's coming back. The apostle Paul said I die every single day, every single day, every single day. I die every day. That's because I'm dying to the world. I'm dying through repentance and that repentance, if I don't have that repentance, I can never find the grace of God. So would you stand with me? Grace is only accessible through faith. I have to say this again, brother. I'm sorry you heard it the other night. Grace is only accessible through faith. Only takes a little size of a grain of mustard seed. So faith, you're saved by grace through faith. So in order to get the grace of God, you have to get it through faith. That kind of kills what they're saying nowadays, isn't it? That you don't have to have anything. Yet James and Peter both wrote that, that you can save by grace through faith. So faith ignites grace. It makes it come to life. And once that you're in a position to access grace, then you have to figure what class are we in? Because he only gives grace to two classes of people. No. He only gives grace to one class of people. Don't be fooled. Peter and James both wrote, he only gives grace to the humble. No one else. So that means if, brother, we talked about this. We talked about this this weekend. If we don't have that humility... You're not going to have a relationship with God. I'm sorry. You will never have a relationship with God. Humility is what puts you in a position to have a relationship with God. Without humility, you're sounding brass and tinkling cymbal. So are you ready today? I've been serving God for 25 years. I don't care if you've been serving Him for 25 centuries. Right now is a time of repentance for every one of us, myself included. Remember that little card I gave you? I did it this morning. Same way I always do it. Every word on it. God, search me. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Help me to shun the very appearance of evil God. Help my unbelief. So which of you today, who'd like to break the ice like my good brother over here did helping me with those names a while ago? You gonna help me here too, bro? Break the ice. Come down here and say, God, I'm renewing my commitment, and this one's going to be greater and bigger than the last one I made. And I'm going to keep my word. I'm going to be what you want me to be. I'm going to see this thing through.
I'm going to be the Christian you'll be proud of. Oh, I want God to be proud of me. Isn't that something? Wouldn't it be something if God told somebody, I'm proud of you? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? What a testimony. God, I want you to be proud of me. I want you to be proud of me. Isn't that beautiful? God's trustworthy. But I want God to be able to trust me. Would you like for God to be able to trust you? Is your son? You don't show him the way, he probably won't learn it. You did the right thing. You brought him to the altar. You know what God wants from you? You. Nothing more, nothing less. Just you. That's all he wants. And if you're willing to give him that, he's willing to give you everything. Everything. him in all the earth. Thank you, Jesus. Capture our tears, God. Put them in a bottle. We want to know you. We want to know you every way possible. We want to know you. Begins today, Lord. Begins today, Lord. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, look at all these people, God. We're here. None of us in this building have an axe to grind. We all realize that we're not better than anybody. None. We're all just a bunch of people trying to find the right way to do something. We need you to help us here today, God. Touch us. Touch us, Lord Jesus. Heal us. Save us. Cover these people in the blood of Calvary. Let your blood flow like a river, God. Through the whole building, the back, all the way to the front. Let it flow like a river, God. Let it wipe out all the anxiety. Let it wipe out all of the habits. Let it wipe out all of the things that have happened. Let inside our bodies, God, if there's a cancer here, if there's a diabetic here, God, let that blood wash them. Supernatural power of the risen Jesus Christ. He's not in the grave anymore. He's here. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Join us next week for another message of hope and life in Jesus. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address to all of your friends, extraordinarychurch.ca. We are a young church plant with a lot of people living an extraordinary life in Jesus. If you're looking for a way to become better connected to what God is doing, email us, info at extraordinarychurch.ca. We'd love to hear from you.